Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That is me, and I'm smiling. You can hear I'm smiling because I'm talking to one of my favorite guests. She's back again this year, Jessica Lesson, the uh, CEO and founder of The Information. Do I say my favorite tech and business publication? Am I allowed to say that? Oh, you can, and we'd be delighted. Will I get Thank in trouble you, for saying that? All right, if I get in trouble, pretend you didn't hear it. Welcome, Jessica. <laughs> Thanks. Proud I, I to want, be here. I want to, you just took a trip to China uh, with Secretary of Commerce, Gina Raimondo. I want to talk to you about that trip, but I, I wanted to use that trip as a reason to talk to you about China and the U.S. and tech, because it's something that is in the background and sometimes the foreground of, of all kinds of conversations about tech, and I, I feel extraordinarily ignorant about what's going on, even though I've spent time trying to report it out with the help of, of your employee, Wayne Ma, who did a great episode of Land of the Giants about Apple and China and their codependence a couple of years ago. We brought in Wayne to do that. And I wanted you to just sort of tell us where things stand, because it seems on the one hand, like there's increased tension and ratcheting up pressure between the US and China. On the other hand, every time I look around, I see more evidence that that U.S. government, U.S. commerce in general, and tech in particular, are deeply embedded in in China and really sort of inextricable. And and I find those two ideas hard to hold in my head at the same time. And I thought you could help tease things out for me. Fair? You got ten minutes. Go. Absolutely. Yeah. No. I mean, you described geo the geopolitical sort of situation of our era or of this epoch um, quite well, Peter. But yes, I, you know, I just got back from Beijing and Shanghai. And one of the reasons I wanted to go not only to see the Commerce Secretary, but as you said, it is a consequential and complicated moment uh, for the US and China in technology. That that status that like, oh, things are complicated, and there's tension, and there's a push pull that's gone on for a long time. But something seems to have changed in the last few years, right? Absolutely. And I, I'd kind of sum it up as this, you know, when I started as a tech reporter, maybe 20 years ago, now, the market was, you know, internet, com US internet companies very much wanted to be in China. Um, and it was hard. And the Chinese government did not make it easy. But there was a sense that it was possible to do business. And I actually covered Google's um, foray into China as well as when they pulled out of China, which really, I think, was the beginning of this sense that, um, you know, the Internet isn't as global as we thought. And China's ecosystem was not only going to be sort of hard or hostile in terms of complying with the government's rules, but it just wasn't kind of in the cards. And so I'd say since then, we've seen this sort of talk of decoupling, if you will. It's a horrible word. I prefer separate. But this idea of for as far as tech companies are concerned, you know, China not being, you know, this this important market or big market or opportunity for them um, and really a retreat and a, a focus elsewhere. Now, as you pointed out, though, there, there have been huge exceptions, notably the hardware industry, where if you look at companies like Apple, 
and many other companies that rely on Chinese supply chains and suppliers, they've kind of known that they need to decouple a little bit to kind of mitigate some of the risk. Because literally you can't Um, have an iPhone today without China. Oh, not only that, but, you know, Wayne reported for us just a few days ago that that Apple is turning to a Chinese supplier for the um, glasses for the new mm-hmm. VR device because it's really the only technology that they think Elon can do Musk it. makes so, his Teslas there. I mean, most major exactly. American tech companies, many of them rely on them deeply for infrastructure, supply chain, for something. Absolutely. And, and I think that's actually setting up a very interesting uh, tension, again, not to overuse that word, um, with the U.S. government and its kind of policies. You know, the Biden administration has really decided um, that it needs to ratchet up the pressure on China. As... And they're following the lead of the Trump administration, which did the yes. same thing. There's, they are more Absolutely. closely aligned than you might think, given the, the election and the differences in the two candidates. Absolutely. And obviously, the tensions have been inflamed by the spy balloon that, um, you know, China appears to have sent. Um also, um, statements made around Taiwan and the idea that China could invade Taiwan. So the geopolitical tensions have, have certainly ratcheted up, it up significantly. And what the Biden administration has done is say, okay, we don't want to decouple entirely, but we're going to de-risk. And that means we're going to try and invest more in the U.S. in things that we are currently dependent upon China for. And also, China, we're going to block you from getting our most advanced technology. Um, And so that was really the set of moves that have kind of laid the current landscape for what the tensions are over and actually why the secretary traveled over there. And it's, you know, representing, I think, a really important chapter kind of to this relationship where You've had a lot of the internet companies pull away. You've had the hardware companies very codependent. And you have the U.S. with these export controls on really the semiconductors that are needed for AI. So we're now in the AI phase, you know, pulling them back. So let me break that in a couple buckets. So de-risking generally is, you know, something that Apple and other companies would be looking into on their own, right? Hey, what, what if we did try to get India and Vietnam and other places to help us assemble iPhones, et cetera. It's going to take a long time to build that up. Questionable whether they'll ever be able to do what we want, but we got to start looking into that. It's going to take a long time. Is the U.S. policy of de-risking just saying, yeah, you should go do that? Or is it more more sophisticated than that? It's a little more sophisticated. So it's definitely encouraging that. Um, you know, Commerce Secretary Raimondo passed the CHIPS Act about a year ago, which is basically subsidizing U.S. investment. In building ch- chip manufacturer, et in the U.S. Exactly. In the U.S., exactly. But, you know, it, it doesn't just stop there because we also saw the Biden administration follow that up by restricting what U.S. venture capitalists and PE firms can invest in in China in which sectors. And so, you know, there really is this kind of promote at home, but we're seeing a, a new set of things to restrict the kind of outflows, um, both in terms of like export control saying, you know, NVIDIA, you can't sell your super fast chips to China. You have to make them half as fast and then you can sell them to China, mm-hmm. but also the venture capital piece. So 
yeah, there's a lot happening. And 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 so that is a change. And again, that was you saw that sort of attitude coming from the Trump administration, and they they banned Huawei, the use of Huawei material from telecom stuff in the U.S. What is happening on in terms of Chinese politics that is is ramping up? Is it just purely in response to America, or what's 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 leveling the the I'll say tension? What is leveling the tension up in the last few years? Yeah, well, I mean, I, obviously the, the situation in China has been very complicated, and we can't forget COVID. I mean, COVID also showed how vulnerable U.S. and and companies are globally to Chinese supply chains and and all of that. So I think that also really brought the strong kind of protectionist impulse and, and, you know, for good reason. You know, President Xi has been really consolidating power in China. And at the same time, obviously, the economy is at its worst point in, in a number of years or more. So, you know, the country is struggling on a lot of fronts. Internally, there's been a big clampdown on some of its largest internet companies, which I think is sometimes funny for important that we remember. We talk all the time in the U.S. about how TikTok has come out of ByteDance, a Chinese company. Um, But the Chinese government has also been cracking down on ByteDance and and trying to, um, as part of a broader business crackdown, um, you know, across the landscape there. So the country faces an extraordinary number of challenges. And it was interesting to hear officials there kind of not admit that, of course, but talk about how much they did need the U.S. and and the U.S. needed China for this global recovery that needs to happen. So the backdrop was certainly the broader economy. But China's pushed back on the export controls. I mean, they've retaliated. This is what happened in, in trade wars. So They've said, okay, you know, we control some of the raw materials needed to make semiconductors to begin with. We're going to limit the export of those. We're going to block some of these deals that companies like, you know, Intel or Micron want to do. Um, And so- They want to partner with with Chinese companies. Yeah, there there have also been some M&A activities, Mm -hmm. but yes. So, I mean, they're they're looking for ways to retaliate. and then at the same time, they're just pouring money into their own development of semis um, to try and build up their capacity as well. The restrictions on on AI chips, how much of that is this is a national security concern? We're in an AI arms race. Uh, we can't arm our opponents versus this is just a either powerful or powerfully symbolic thing that we can deprive China from? Because the truth is we can't tell Apple to leave China because we're not going to sink an American company. Whereas it's, you know, NVIDIA can make all the chips at once. It's never going to run out of customers in the near future. And they can they can not sell to China and be just fine. It's a great question, Peter. It depends who you ask. I mean, Secretary Raimondo was adamant that this strategy is not about helping U.S. companies, it's about national security. And she says, if we know that um, potential military adversary is using a technology um, in a way that could hurt us, we got to stop it. And she points out that China's whole economy and political system is based on melding those two worlds. And so, you, you know, you can't, you have to assume that your deals with the commercial sector are are flowing into the military. Now, at the same time, the Chinese government 
openly accuses the U.S. of extending the concept of security and just lumping everything into that. So, you know, I, I push the secretary on this because technology is is always changing. And the idea that you can draw that line on the speeds of the chips, you know, NVIDIA can't sell its H100 to China, so it's got the H800, which it's going to sell instead. And the idea that you can calculate that move will, you know, mm-hmm. um, stunt the advance of the Chinese military by a sufficient percentage that now we're no longer concerned about See, national it's pretty security. Arbitrary. It's pretty arbitrary. So, um, so that's the gray area, and that's why this is a, a deeply political issue. We'll be right back after a word from a sponsor. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. I want to get an overall take from you, but but uh, I did want to uh, mention TikTok. You brought it up a few times. Uh, under Trump, there was what clearly was not a serious attempt to ban TikTok and a semi-serious attempt to make them maybe sell the company. And depending on what day you ask Donald Trump, the plan moved around. It's wild to remember that there was a plan between Microsoft and Walmart and I think totally. Oracle at one point, and they were all yeah. going to collaborate. And, you know, Semaphore just had a piece last week saying, no, people in Washington still want to ban TikTok. And they're still talking about it. It doesn't seem remotely practical from my perspective. One, it's just an enormously popular app. You, you We had the Democratic, uh, the DNC CTO come on last year and say the Democrats are going to use TikTok, knowing full well what the issues are. I know you're not a, a Washington prognosticator, but do you see? Do you have any sense that there's any real danger to TikTok in in being really restrained in the U.S. the The bans we've seen are, you know, if you're a, if you're in the military, you can't have it on your phone. I think some individual states are trying to challenge it. But do you see any reasonable chance of a of a federal TikTok ban slash forced divestiture? You know, at this moment, it doesn't feel like things are going in that direction. But I got to say, this story will never surprise me in that it always surprises me. And I think, um, you know, President Trump's attempt to do this was blocked by the courts. So I think there's a lot of sense that if Biden or anyone else tried to do the same, they'd have the same fate. They might have a competent lawyer draft the proposal. Yes. I mean, I I don't think the exact details would play out, but it... But it's also true that, you know, statements about banning TikTok are political, you know, catnip, you know, or they're, de- they're designed to 
signal being tough on China or whatever it is, and we're going to be entering a president ele- presidential election. So I don't think we're going to see this issue go away. I, I also think it's an important issue, right, for the government to look at the handling of data by TikTok and others about U.S. citizens. But well, one is yeah, the handling of data and is that data safe and what can they do with it? The other is sure. you have the sort of argument you just made. This is, you know, it's a Chinese company. It means it's basically a state, at least partially run company. And do you want to have a state run a Chinese run social network with enormous cloud in the U.S.? Totally. I've often wondered, Peter, you're probably more an expert in foreign media ownership laws than I am, but I know we have them, right? Mm-hmm. And I've just We wondered, change them depending on whatever Rupert Murdoch wants. Yeah, yes. I was going to say that those also kind of move around. But yeah, so I don't think our days of, you know, dramatic seeming headlines out of Washington committees on TikTok are over. Um, but I also think the attitude of of the company is let's just keep building and growing. And that kind of defends Solves us from it. whatever yeah. will come next. I want to talk about Raimondo in a second, but but just to, to settle things. I mean, I think in your piece, you said this is the fourth visit from a Biden official in three months. So the Biden administration, while they're talking tough and instituting these bans, are also going to China saying, hey, we want to do business with you. In the lead of your story, you mentioned the various places Raimondo was going on the day you talked to her. She went to an NYU student NYU students thing in Shanghai. She went to Disneyland. She did a press conference in Boeing. We're deeply enmeshed there. Things will continue. The tensions will continue to ratchet up. But should we expect a anything meaningful to change, at least in the remaining years of the Biden administration? Or is this sort of uneasy status quo where we're at? I think this is where we're at. I mean, there's a lot of speculation about um, Biden, um, meaning she, you know, in, in the coming month or so. And in many ways, these visits were seen to kind of open that door. And it does seem that visits like Ramondo's and Yellen and Blinken's have restored dialogue. And, you know, I, I'm not a political reporter. To me, dialogue, it maybe isn't worth as much as, as others think, but but it is obviously important. And I think the fact that dialogue is seen as a win shows how much the relationship had deteriorated. So, you know, everyone is cautious, nervous, anxious, and so on. But I think the sense that, you know, take these export controls, these semiconductor bans, there is now a group, you, you can't call it a working group because that implies these can be negotiated over, but there's an information sharing group to sort of answer the Chinese government's questions about how they're going to be applied. And so that is a change in the relationship. And yeah, but the big picture, you know, especially when it comes to technology, which really is at, at the heart of, of shaping a lot of these fears. I know so many venture capitalists who think the world will be dominated either by a US AI or a China AI. And whoever builds that AI is going to control hearts, minds, wallets, voter registration, you know, everything mm-hmm. of, of the world. Um, and so that the potential for that, for sort of how the next phase of technology is harnessed, um, is really the backdrop here. We're going to have you back on to talk about this. But but before I let you go, I haven't mentioned Gina Romando's name on this <laughs> podcast before. I'm imagining a lot of our tech and media business savvy people who listen to this podcast have not spent time thinking about her. You got 15 minutes in the back of a U.S. van or maybe Chinese yeah. van with her. What did you learn about her? And, and what should what should our audience know about someone who's fairly obscure by Washington standards, but is also considered like a rising star? 
Yeah, you know, I think she may be tech's favorite politician in this moment, Peter. And I don't know if that's a good badge or, or a bad badge, but you know, former governor of Rhode Island, before that had a brief stint as a venture capitalist investing in medical devices and known as a kind of accessible, direct, effective leader. Uh, within the Biden administration, she's more pro-business than um, some of the others. But when I, you know, like Andy Jassy, the CEO of Amazon, is a fan. Dan Schulman, the CEO of PayPal, is a fan. Um, it is very easy to find. What are they? Fans what are they hers. fans of? Are they fans of something she's doing in China? Are they fans of something she's doing in the U.S.? Do they know her pre her Washington job? Yeah, I, both of those knew her pre. Um, I believe J- Jassy went back to Harvard undergrad with her, but I I think they find her accessible, which um, not necessarily influenceable or swayable, but wants to hear from them, wants to talk to them. Um, you know, she was really pushing on the ground in China the fact that the China business environment has become, you know, simply uninvestable, she says, for U.S. companies, and they feel that way. So I think they feel heard. They feel like she has good ideas and 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 in Rhode Island in particular has a real track record of getting things done. So she is certainly popular. I also found her to be very direct. I I like a you know an interview subject who knows you're short on time and gets to the point. And and she was one of those. And and you know while trying to simplify this very complicated relationship, she also you know when I pushed about where do you draw the line, she got into the weeds and talked about it and didn't pretend it was black and white. So all in all, I think she's not someone whose name you hear a lot at least in Silicon Valley these days, but I think we're going to hear it more. And as she told me, the president asked her to play a leading role in how the administration regulates AI. Um, she has a role in in looking at TikTok as well. And, and of course, the hardware side. So I think we're going to hear a lot more from her. So, the, you know, the thing journalists like talking about the most is themselves and journalism. So I do have some navel gazing Oh, please. One naval gazing yes. question for you. How'd you go on this trip? This is you. You tend to not take uh, week long reporting trips to hang out with the Secretary of uh, of Commerce. Uh, how'd you end up doing it? And who else was there with you? It's a great point, Peter, and and it's really fun, and I'd love to do more. So all you other secretaries out there, call me up. But no, we we got the opportunity. You know that her team reached out about whether we'd like to. I did think, they fly you, know, you on her plane? Or are you flying? Flying no, the US, fly US ourselves, Air? yep. And you can't, you know, the relationship's gotten so bad, there are no direct flights from SFO, Peter. So this was a, a multi-hop segment, which which didn't used to be that way. But, y- you know, I was with about four other, four or five other reporters um, who sort of um, cover the Commerce Department um, as their jobs. And I think, you know, another kind of inside baseball note is, it's so my understanding the Commerce Department doesn't have like a traveling press pool in the way that Treasury or state does. And I so I think it's telling that they kind of arranged and wanted to get some reporters on this trip. But, you know, that certainly says to me they worked hard to make sure to tell the story of the secretary on the ground there, um, which uh, is, is interesting, both in terms of, you know, the importance of the subject and how they see it and, and also her. So. Yeah, I mean, to get super meta about it, do you think their interest in having that story told is we want people to know who Gina Raimondo is, we want the U.S. We want the U.S. 
tech business leadership to understand that we're trying to do stuff here? Is this actually aimed at China? This is so important. We're Look, we're bringing Jessica Lesson along. Um, when they're thinking about bringing press on a trip like this, because it could easily happen without press, right? But maybe... Or you tell me, I mean, maybe the whole point of it is to have press there and documenting her doing things in China. Well, Peter, I got to admit my reporter brain that was constantly using all my transcription apps was thinking, you know, like, how many bodies do you need on the ground? Now, um, I'm still a huge fan of being on the ground and you see and learn so much, but there are certainly parts of this that can quickly get blasted and do- Could have been a Zoom. Could have been a Zoom, but no, I think, I mean, I think it's about which audiences are you reaching, you know, and, and we've got an influential global business audience. We've got a bureau in Hong Kong that's been writing about this for a while. And um, I think it's a, an audience, I know from talking to our readers who were really concerned in this moment about what's happening and trying to make a lot of decisions about their own businesses and and unpacking things like the executive order around venture and as well as just what are the prospects for business. So, um, yeah, I think there is a concerted effort to, to reach our readers. Okay. Well, the trickle-down effect means that you get to explain it to my, my listeners and everyone wins. Thank you, Jessica Lesson, from the information. I appreciate it. Thanks, Peter. Thanks to our sponsors for bringing the show to you for free. That's zero dollars. Still the same. Thanks to Travis and Jelani for editing the show, producing the show, and thanks to you guys for listening. We'll see you next week. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.